Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. A most recent report that's out about the state of the state of Louisiana's rural hospitals. Louisiana has been... A state that's been fortunate thus far where throughout the pandemic have not had to shut down any of the rural hospitals uh, can't say the same for a number of states around the country and uh, it's been a challenge um, and uh, most recent reports say this challenge is getting more and more intense for rural hospitals and mark diana joins us phd M- mba msis professor associate dean for curriculum and special projects at newcomb tulane college uh professor welcome to the show thank you it's a pleasure to be here so i was just giving kind of the landscape of of uh, rural hospitals and the challenges of same and that most recent reports louisiana has kind of been immune from this through the pandemic but obviously it seems as though conditions are getting worse. Yeah, I think that's accurate. I mean, Louisiana has actually fared fairly well up to this point, but uh, there's no question that rural hospitals across the country and, and in Louisiana are struggling. Uh, many of them are you know, operating at a loss. I mean, they're in the red, and those that aren't are operating on very slim margins. So it's, it's and, and as you mentioned, the pandemic funding that was available has all gone away. And so, um, yes, it's very challenging for rural hospitals right now. So Louisiana is kind of odd in a way that they fund this. uh, And I think a lot of states have these exotic financing plans for um, rural hospitals. But if you would, for the benefit of the listening audience, how critical are the rural hospitals to just the over? overarching healthcare delivery system in in any state. Yeah, I mean they are they are critical, and particularly in a in a state like Louisiana that's largely rural. Um, but even in other states where there aren't as many rural areas, they're they're critical in terms of you know entry points and access for for um, you know populations that have um, you know challenges with regard to traveling and getting from you know their locations to a more a more major urban center i mean that's one of the primary barriers um uh you know if these hospitals close or if they shift their model so that they don't have inpatient beds anymore which is one of the things that some of them are doing you know that means that to get care and sometimes simple uh, things as simple as I make it sound like it's simple, but, you know, OBGYN types of services, you know, deliveries and those kinds of things. Uh, accessing those can be challenging if you have to drive, you know, hours away to get to a facility. So um, so that's the primary thing. You know, there's also the primary care, you know, systems that um, they provide, but rural hospitals are the only source of that care. So it's things like, you know, OBGYN and other types of services, emergency services that, 
um, you know, are not readily available if these hospitals close. So it's critical to these communities. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, when you think about uh, the lack of emergency care, that that's when you know um, you're going to have difficulty finding alternatives. Because even, you know, there there was this right. move afoot. I know you're aware of it of these standalone emergency centers uh, for a while. That those more and more have yeah. seemed to go by the wayside, and 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 the economics of those, um, you know, are, too, are not too much better than the full blown hospital. So. We don't even really see a lot of those types of remedial efforts in the rural area. That's correct. I mean, um, the, the freestanding emergency departments, even even where they're still prevalent and, and still growing, it's usually in, you know, markets that are, you know, more affluent, that are um, mostly um, patients with private insurance, which means they've got, you know, good um, good jobs with good health insurance, uh, <clears throat> those are not usually located in rural locations, right? So even where they're, you know, still still going strong, they aren't really the answer, um, particularly not for emergency care. Now, one of the things that um, rural hospitals are doing, and I'm not aware that there are any in, in Louisiana that have done this yet, but is what's, it, it's um, transitioning to what's called the rural rural emergency hospital, which means they don't take inpatients anymore. Patients can't go and stay overnight in the hospital, but the hospital can still provide emergency services. So you're still seeing, you know, a curtailing of access, um, but the emergency services haven't gone away. Um, So it's not an ideal situation, but it is a way for them to sort of try to keep at least some access in those communities. Louisiana historically has taken um, the certification of uncompensated care in the urban hospitals, uh, sent that up to the federal government. I think they get either a two-to-one or three-to-one match that comes back to the state of Louisiana. In most states, uh, at least a portion of that money goes back to the certifying hospitals, not here. What they do is they take that money to fund uh, the um, rurals. But Right. At the same time that we have now, we have a challenge in urban hospitals that are really trying to make the cut and are having a difficult time as well, right? Yeah, I think that's fair. And it, it is very complicated. You did a great job of sort of describing what happens there. Um, and that money, that money that goes to hospitals that provide, you know, uncompensated care, that is, you know, care to patients who don't have insurance, Um uh, does get moved to rural hospitals. It's a major support, and it's not, you know, it's not explicit in the policy. In other words, it's not like this is money that's set aside for rural hospitals. So the state does this, and yeah, the match is three to one, um, which is a favorable match for Louisiana. Um, but yeah, so urban hospitals, particularly ones that are located or have a high, you know, load of uncompensated care are actually also struggling. Um, And so diverting some of that money is a challenge for them. The other thing I would add is that, um, you know, Louisiana has expanded Medicaid. Um, Unlike most other states in the Southeast, um, part of the original policy thinking around Medicaid expansion was, well, we won't need this much money for uncompensated care anymore because Medicaid patients, you know, patients will not have Medicaid, and so they won't be uninsured. 
And so the original thinking was, well, then we can reduce the amount of money we're sending to hospitals for uncompensated care. I hope that, that that's making sense. That well, has been put off. Over, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go no, ahead. I was going to say it, it sounds you know, like it makes sense in theory, but I, I think you're about to tell me in practice it doesn't work very well. So well go, go ahead. Well, so, <laughs> yes, that's, that's well said. Um, it, in theory, makes a lot of sense, right? Okay, we're going to stop having to pay for uncompensated care, so we don't need to give you as much support for those patients. Well, it was never enough support in the first place. Um, right. Secondly, um, you know, um, that that has been put off. Um, repeatedly, but it looks like they're going to go back to looking at cutting those funds. And what hospitals will tell you is, you know, Medicaid doesn't pay very well. So even though a patient who didn't have insurance may now have Medicaid, they're still taking a loss, right? They're still, it's costing them more to provide care to these patients than what Medicaid pays. And so there's still a shortfall there. So um, so even that isn't really satisfactory, but it does represent a squeeze. You know, if they start cutting this uncompensated care, these payments, um, then it's going to make it even harder for the for all of the hospitals and the state to figure out how to deal with this. Doc, how much of this? Wonky, but, mm-hmm. You know, I, I sat on the board of East Jeff Hospital for in excess of 20 years, and that's the only reason why I know some of this nomenclature and how this flows, because it runs contrary to everything I ever learned uh, from a business perspective in, in school. I mean, mm-hmm. it is the most confounding, healthcare economy is the most confounding thing you, I think, and, and I, I guess you would probably agree with me that you're ever going to be exposed to. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it, it is, is crazy. Yeah. Uh, it's almost yeah. maniacal in many aspects. But <laughs> be, mm-hmm. be, be that as it, as it may, you know, when, when, we're, when we're looking at marketplace conditions, supply, demand, a lot of different contributing factors to it, one is we have a shortage of doctors and healthcare professionals. And it, and it, and it doesn't seem like we can ever get the dots connected here to gain a better understanding. I mean, the number of students that are being admitted into most of the medical schools today is the same number of students they were admitting 25 years ago. And, and yeah. we're not seeing a, a, a larger, uh, you know, uh, admittance uh, curve or anything else going on here. And, and I don't understand why. I mean, we're we're kind of killing ourselves, um, and 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 these things go in ten-year cycles. You're not going to move the needle here anywhere, I don't think, in the healthcare economy in one to three years. The the cycles Agreed. are far greater than that. Would you agree? Yeah, particularly when you're talking about supply of physicians in particular, but other other healthcare professionals. You know, the horizon, the time horizon, isn't quite as long. Nursing is an is an example where. You know that that shortage seems to have you know been in existence for I don't know however many decades I've been involved in this business. It's you know always seems to be there. But anyway, I think you're right, and I I don't want to speculate too much as to the motives behind why. Obviously, when you think about supply and demand, you know if you limit supply, then you know there's high demand, and that you know garners um, bigger wages. You know, positive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you said it. Um, and, you know, so that's a challenge. And it's even worse when it comes to rural locations because 
you know, salaries are not as great. You know, the, the kinds of amenities that people like when they, you know, are used to living in an urban setting. I mean, you know, there are lots of factors and there's lots of speculation as to why we, you know, train physicians in Louisiana, you know, LSU and Tulane and, you know, and they don't go work in rural locations. So even though, I guess what I'm saying is even if we were able to increase that supply, it's not clear to me that these people would locate into rural settings. There's something else that has to happen, and I, I don't know what that is. Um, I don't, you know, unfortunately have the answers to many of these questions. But, yeah. but I wanted to point out that that's a, a, an aggravating factor here, that even if we had a, a sufficient supply, there's no guarantee they would end up in rural locations. Well, and, and it's not really, I mean, there's a shared responsibility and onus here, right? I mean, the federal government, mm-hmm. and, and we, they give enormous for major teaching status at, at a number of these uh, medical schools and stuff and residency programs. And I don't know that there's really been much of an appetite from the federal perspective in providing more dollars and more access to this and, and being more robust. And it kind of mystifies me that someone hadn't sat mm-hmm. down and, and explained to folks all of the touch points that need to be clicking on all cylinders to create a landscape to make healthcare more affordable and to make sense yeah. out of the healthcare delivery system in this friction that we have urban rural, you know, and, and how we're going to ultimately end up funding and financing same. Yeah. Now you just laid out, you know, <laughs> the, I guess what I would say is like the major challenge that faces us as, as, you know, well, not just consumers, but health policymakers. Um, it's such a tangled mess. Uh, and, you know, it goes back to a point you made earlier about the economics of healthcare and how convoluted, and I think confounded was the word you used. Yes. Um, you know, it, it's, it's really difficult to untangle it all. And, you know, much of it is, Um, You know, I tell my students all the time, nobody would sit down and like start from scratch and come up with a system like we have. Uh, It's been, you know, the result of the way it's evolved over time, these different policy choices that we make, and many of them are shorter term. Let's try to fix this piece without thinking about how it interacts with other pieces um, or, or, you know, what attention needs to be paid to the other pieces, as you say, Um, and, you know, when you get into the politics of it, it's, you know, as you know, it's very difficult to get people to sit down and agree on even simple things, uh, let alone something as complex as health care. Um, so it, it's a real challenge. I know that's not a satisfactory answer. Um, no, I but I, the answer. I'm just chuckling because I, 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 I'm going to throw this out just to be silly. So you don't know anybody that was in that mystical room that actually created this mess. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I do not. <laughs> I don't think that person actually exists. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's. A, I mean, it's, it's, it's it is the it is the proverbial you got to laugh to keep from crying. I mean, because there's, <laughs> yeah, you know, you have a lot of people that are in this industry. I mean, it's a major employer in the state of Louisiana, right? Um, and yeah, obviously. Absolutely. We have an overrepresentation of those that live below the federally identified poverty level in Louisiana. So it is right. a heightened challenge for us, unlike many, many other states in this country. And, and it's something I put it up there with 
flood insurance. I put it up there with homeowners insurance. I don't think yeah. people really recognize the the challenges that we have in the state of Louisiana from a health care perspective. No, I, I agree with you about that. And one of the things that, you know, I, um, you know, routinely come back to and, you know, there's this persistent relationship between poverty, as you suggest, and poor health outcomes. Uh, it's it's pervasive no matter where you look. Uh, it's it's an issue. Uh, I mean, around the world, it's this relationship exists. I mean, there are obviously variations and you know, places and, and poverty exists in both rural and urban locations, but there is this clear relationship. But if you add rurality, that relationship also exists, right? The, the relationship mm-hmm. between rural uh, locations and poor health outcomes also is, is persistent. And we see it around, you know, everywhere we look. Um, and Louisiana, to your point, is largely rural, a largely poor state. And so while we can try to do things like imp- help get people to improve their diets and get people to improve, you know, their lifestyle behaviors and those kinds of things, and all of those are great things, but they don't really get to the real, to what I consider to be the real challenge here. Now, from a policy perspective, that doesn't mean we can just, you know, make sure nobody's poor or lives in a rural location, right? Obviously, you can't do right. that. Yeah. So there has to be some lever that we can come up with, Right. That helps to address it. So probably more of an answer than you wanted, but no. But it's so true, and I and I, I think it, it's important to uh, um, craft this in a way where the public understands that this is a, really one of the most complex situations that we have. I mean, there's so many moving parts. Some you have control yes. over. The vast majority you have no control over. Um, no, and it's so critical, and, as you point out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Professor Diana, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time uh, and your insight. Have a great week. Thank you. You too. It's really been a pleasure. All righty, sir. We will be right back. 504-260-1870. This is Newell on WWL. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.